Hi there, I'm Eric. And I'm Deborah. And Saturday night at Swinkoover, we'll be live at 8 p.m. Come join us. Yes, check it out. And if you'd like to ask us a question, submit that question online through our website, thenakedtruthwcs.com slash live. And if you're going to be at the event, we may invite you to come up, ask it, join us for a conversation for a bit. Check it out, thenakedtruthwcs.com slash live. Swinkoover, Saturday night, 8 p.m. Hope to see you there. Bye. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And today we're sitting with an international West Coast Swing champion and instructor who began in country in 1992. He quickly made his mark in the West Coast Swing scene by being the winningest male in Jack and Jill's and Strictly Swings. His passion and knowledge for this dance has made him sought after for roles such as organizer, judge, dancer, DJ, and choreographer. He's probably the most joyous advocate of dance with an infectious smile. He's the director of Liberty Swing Dance Championships. Please welcome my friend and mentor, John Lindo. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're glad to have you. So we'll just get right down to it, which is the same first question we usually always ask when we're doing a West Coast Swing person like you, and we say, how did you get started in West Coast Swing? Okay. Well, first, I'm super excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, How did I get started in West Coast Swing? So I was on a dance team called the Renegades, uh, which is an LGTB uh, country and Western team out of Boston. And my dance partner at the time and I, uh, the team was going to the gay games in New York City, and they were also having couples dancing. And so my partner... (laughs) at the time, said, we should compete in couples. And I was like, I don't know about that, but okay, maybe. So then him and our coach decided that we were going to learn certain dances, and one of them was West Coast Swing. Mm. Um, and I had never done West Coast Swing. And, con- you know, it's probably going to be hard to believe, but my very first West Coast Swing lesson, I hated. You're the third person that said this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I was like, why am I walking backwards? And I, well, I don't want to do this. And I said to Ted, <laughs> I said, I, I said, look, we are already doing two step and walls. We just need a swing. Can't we do East Coast swing, which was one of my favorites. And I love these, mm-hmm. you know, love doing East Coast swing. And Ted was like, well, and I said, I hate West Coast swing. I don't want to do it. So we go to the gay games. We compete. We actually got gold in East Coast swing. So I was like, ah, but then. <laughs> I was like, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but then I saw um, John Festa and a few other people dance West Coast Swing, you know, at the gay games themselves. And John came over and asked me to dance. And of course, I didn't know who John Festa was because I didn't know mm-hmm. people royalty then. Um, <laughs> and so this guy comes over to ask me to dance. I said, sure. We danced with him and I finished dancing. My friend said, do you know you just danced with John Festa? And I'm like, who? He's like, that's like one of the best male West Coast Swing dancers in the country. And I'm like, wow, he was amazing. And I was like, no wonder, because it felt great. Um, and I knew the basics. I just didn't feel comfortable, like, owning the dance yet. Um, so then shortly after that, I moved to Dallas and joined another dance team. And that dance team definitely had West Coast Swing choreographed in it. And then I started taking lessons from Barry Jones and Romero Gonzalez which, you know, you don't fool around in their classes. You know, Barry is very, (laughs) when he said move to the right, you move to the right. Uh, And Romero was, you know, kind of like the teacher with a stick. Every time you made a mistake, he would call you out. And at first I was like, I don't know if I kind of like this treatment, but I was like, okay, I'm getting there. It's getting fun. 
Um, and so really that's how I started wrestling was because my dance team went to the gay games and my dance department wanted to compete and we took West Coast Swing lessons at the beginning and I hated them. <laughs> and now it's my favorite dance. And yeah. now I love it. I, and, and it's awesome. And also when I moved, when I was in Dallas, one of the things that made it fun for me was um, the, our dance team was very like we did things together all the time. So when whenever there was a dance, we would all go out to the dance, hang out, dance with each other. Whether we were doing things right or wrong, we just had a good time. Um, and one of the times we went to a, um, one of the dances that had a contest. And, of course, they signed me up. And I had no idea that I was signed up. And so uh, Barry Jones was the MC, And he's calling John Lindo. And I'm ignoring him because I didn't think it was me. I'm thinking maybe there's another John Lindo in the crowd. Jesus. And then finally all my friends turned to me and said, we signed you up. And I'm <laughs> like, I didn't sign up. I'm not going. I'm like, I'm not stepping on that floor. Well, long story short, they forced me to get out there. I drew Robin, um, God, what is her name? Robin, Mc, no, yes. And now she's Robin McBride. Yes. Right. Awesome, mm -hmm. awesome lady. Had never danced with her. You know, we get together. She says, hi, I'm Robin. Hi, I'm John. And we had a good time and won. And that was it. I was hooked right there and then. And my friends are like, you're hooked. I'm like, yep, I'm hooked. Let's go. When is the next lesson? And then that was it. And then I started West Coast Swinging pretty much primarily the entire time, um, especially when I moved back from Dallas to New Jersey. I stopped doing country and just did West Coast every Tuesday night at the North River Bar. And that's when I met Deborah. That's when I met John Fester, really became friends, and Hazel and Angel, you know, Figaro so was there. Oh my God, so many people. And all the instructors that used to come in one week a month, or no, one month for Dance Manhattan, you know, Robert Cardover and Viata mm -hmm. and all those guys. So yeah, and that's why I got everybody. Yeah, Ramiro. Ramiro, yeah. Used to come in once, once a month. And I was like, this is awesome. So that's how I started it. That's awesome. You mentioned uh, learning from Barry and from Ramiro. Yes. Um, curious to know who influenced you most as a dancer but also as a professional as you've evolved your career yeah i have to say <laughs> one person that has influenced me the most has to be john festa mm -hmm. uh because I, I love john because john just looks at me and just says mary calm down and he, <laughs> and he brings me right back down to earth he has no problem hitting me upside the head and saying uh, you're getting too big for your bridges, settle down. Um, and it's awesome because, you know, there have been times when, you know, I would go to contests and I would win and I'd be like, oh my God. And he's like, and what are you going to do Monday? And I'm like, go back to work. He's like, exactly. He's like, come back down to earth. And so I think John has definitely influenced me the most as keeping me grounded. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, influenced definitely by Barry Jones and Romero and all, you know, I was fortunate that when I, started West Coast Swing Dancing, my journey was being part of the North River Bar era, which was an amazing era to be part of. Because you walked in on a Tuesday and you never knew who was going to be there, right? I mean, you would walk in and there would be, you know, Charlie and Jackie and there would be Robert Cardova. And, and you know, one time when Robert Royston and Lorraine Baldovi were on the swing show, they used to come out every Tuesday. So right. we had this huge influence of people who kind of supported each other and and everybody was friendly. And, you know, we did have, of course, the deep end, which yes. is when was near the DJ booth, which right. the first couple of weeks I went to the North River Bar, I didn't even go near the DJ booth because I was afraid. So I stayed six by. six months. 
I stayed by the pool table. I'm like, I'm hanging, I'm hanging out with my friend Judith by the pool table and, you know, and not going in the deep end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have all those people influence and, you know, to watch people like Deborah and Hazel just, and Blake, who used to come on Tuesday, yeah. just kind of come in into their own and, and having these dances with these amazing followers was incredible. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was pretty awesome to kind of, so I think, you know, that influenced me a lot. And, but I have to say, you know, definitely my friends have kept me grounded. I mean, I have friends that are non-dancers who, you know, would be like, okay, great. You want a contest, but what movie are we going to go see? You know, and I'd <laughs> want to talk about the contest and they're like, what movie are we going to go see? And I'm like, all right, back, mm-hmm. you know, back to earth here. So yeah. So I have to say, um, those people definitely influenced me and kept, and kept me grounded. Yeah. You know, John, you've, you've worn a lot of hats in the, in the swing dance community. You've been, you know, DJ, event director, dancer, teacher, yeah. choreographer, blah, 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 and all those things. How did you end up in these different roles and what drew you to them? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I have to say both for teaching and DJing, it was kind of not my fault. I just was like, <laughs> not my it fault. Was, it was not my fault. Um, uh, for teaching, I was at, um, I remember I was at, um, NASCC, remember the North Atlantic Dance Championships? Yeah. yeah. And I was walking down the hallway and the event director came up to me and said, what are you doing right now? I'm like, nothing. He's like, can you go teach a class? My teacher didn't show up. And he's like, and I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I can. Sure. I mean, now I used to teach for AT&T. I, you know, I worked for AT&T, so I was a trainer by my profession. So for me, you know, starting to teach a class was easy. It was just now it was a swing class. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was a beginner class. So I kind of was like, okay, I think I can I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I must have done a pretty good job because they, they kept hiring me. And same thing with, with DJing was um, I've always loved music and I've always loved making tapes. Like, you know, back then when you had CDs and you had to make tapes because you didn't have, you know, uh, iTunes. Right. Um, and when I, w- when I went to one of the weekly uh, dances for the Renegades, you know, the DJ didn't show up and people are just standing around. And so my friend Ted and I are like, well, somebody needs to do something. And I'm like, well, I've got some tapes in the car. Let me go get them. And I brought the tapes in and put them in the cassette and started playing music. And then I became one of the regular DJs. Um, and then Tuesday nights, I used to watch John Festa you know, DJ, and I used to ask him questions. I'm sure he was like, get away from me. Like a couple of times, times I could see him rolling his eyes and I'm like, okay, I've reached my limit. I've asked too many questions. I'm like, how do you do this? And how do you pick this song? And what do you do? Um, But also it happened on a Tuesday night. You know, he called me and said, I am completely sick. Can you come and get my music and come DJ? And I took his books of CDs because back then that's all you kept the music on was CDs. And remember, freaking out because I had to flip Flip through the books and put them in and cue every song. Um, You know, and a couple of songs mishapped. I played the wrong one and people looked at me and I went, I'm learning. Sorry. (laughs) But, you know, it was also just helping out a friend. And and then I was like, okay, I think I really love this passion of music and DJing and, and, you know, being able to share that with people I love. So Mm -hmm. those two things were easy. The the event director role kind of came into play where I complained a lot to my friends about certain events that I didn't like what they were doing. And they just said to me and said, well, can you do it better? And I'm like, uh, I think I can. And they're like, well, then do it. And so they called my bluff and I took it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, you know, and again, you know, events are awesome. It's just that, you know, back then there were certain event directors that kind of just huddled people through like cattle. And I felt like, you know, being from AT&T and having 17 years of customer service, I'm like, this is not good customer service. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, and people deserve better. And so they were like, well, if you can do it better, you should do it. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Well, it's, so. it's clear that you're, you're someone who, uh, when you put your mind to something that you, you do it and you, you don't do it half ass, you go, I, you go right in. Otherwise you wouldn't say I can do it. That's who you yeah, are. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, otherwise I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'll tell people, I'll say, look, I'll try, but I can probably tell you, I'm going to drive you crazy. If you're asking me to do something for you, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it to my best ability. And even if you tell me to stop, I'm going to continue doing it. So just, you know, enjoy the ride. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you mentioned having a, a career at AT&T. Yeah. And I believe for a while you were doing AT&T and also doing this dance career stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious what that was like doing both of them. And also what made you decide to leave and do this full time? That there's actually a good story about that. So um, I love stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, so I worked for for AT and T for 17 years. Amazing career. I wouldn't change it for the world. I started with them. My very first job was a phone operator. You know, AT and T. How can I help you? Yes, I'd be happy to give you that three cent credit. And you sat on the phone for eight hours. And I remember my very first day of training. I walked in. You know, I was supposed to be there at eight, and I walked in at five of eight. And my my instructor said. Uh, it's five minutes of eight. And I'm like, I know, I still got five minutes, right? And she's like, no, darling, this is not how it works. Mm-hmm. She goes, if you're going to start at eight o'clock, you have to be in the building at least 20 minutes before because you got to take your coat off, you got to get your coffee, you got to say hi to everybody, and you got to sit at the phone and to start taking calls at eight o'clock. So I am kind of known for being punctual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is one of my traits is that I learned that from AT&T is that Look, if I have to start answering phone calls at 8 o'clock, I can't show up at 8. I have to show up earlier. So right. if I have to start teaching your class at 8 o'clock, I can't be in the ballroom or start walking to the ballroom at 8. Right? I got to be on the mic and be ready to go at 8 o'clock. Now, if the other teachers are running late, I don't care. I'm there. I've done my job. Right? But, you know, people are paying money waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And so this was the same thing. Customers went through. So AT&T taught me how to be on time and not be late. And so I'm very rarely rare that I'm late. If anything, I'm early because I'm always panicking about being late. Um, And also AT&T taught me to travel, right? Because uh, I was single. I didn't have a family. And so when it was time to go to do, so from, so let me just back up a little bit. So from being uh, an AT&T operator, I went to being a team manager. Then from team management, I went into managing team and then doing training. And then once I became a trainer, that's when my team was two guys and seven women. And it was Ooh. awesome. But the women didn't want to travel because they had kids, right? And they didn't want to right. leave their kids at home with their husbands for like five or six days. So when it came time to travel, it was always me or Tony. And Tony was married with three kids. So his wife was also like, you can't be traveling a lot. So hence, John Lindo, the single guy, was like pretty much traveling all the time. And I didn't mind it because I was single. I was young and I'm like, hey, and while I was single, I got to extend my weekends and kind of do swing events. Mm-hmm. So it kind of took care of two folds. Mm-hmm. So every time they said, hey, who wants to go to Salt Lake? I'd be like, I'll go. Or who wants to go to Charleston or Dallas? Or who wants to go to, you know, anywhere? I would always raise my hand because it was. So it taught me to be flexible and be willing to move. Um, right. And so, yeah, I enjoyed working with them. And I enjoyed uh, having a full-time job with them now. I, the story goes, one of my very, very first managers that I had at AT&T when I moved from 
Dallas to headquarters. Um, and actually, the reason why I worked, I moved from Dallas to headquarters was because I was on a conference call and I was running the conference call. And I didn't know that this person was on there. And I ended the conference call. And on Friday, around on, on a Friday night, around 8 o'clock, I get a phone call. And it's this gentleman. And he says, I was on your conference call. And I'm like, you were? He's like, I was listening in. He goes, and I want you to come work for me. And I'm like, what? He's like, you know, he was the head of such and such. Well, he was the head of the wireless department. And he said, I want you on my team. What's it going to take? And I'm like, well, where are you? And he's like, you have to move to New Jersey to headquarters to Baskin Ridge. And I said, okay. And so he said, it's Friday. I'll call you Monday. You're going to give me your answer. So I literally had two days to make up my mind whether I was going to leave all my friends in Dallas and move to New Jersey where I knew no one. Um, and so I made a decision. I went um, and I worked for him and he was an amazing, amazing manager. And he retired. And I remember him telling me when he was going to retire that he couldn't wait to spend time with his family and grandkids and do a bunch of stuff that he didn't get to do while he was working a lot. Mm-hmm. And two months later, I was attending his funeral. Ugh. And at that funeral, I remember saying to myself, this is not going to happen to me. Now, he had dedicated his life to AT&T for 32 years, mm-hmm. which was great. He loved it. You know, and AT&T was great to him. But I, I remember saying to myself, this is not going to be me. This is not, I'm not going to work my entire life and not enjoy life. So I made a decision right there and then to retire at age 35. And I... Every time AT&T sent out a package, I would send it to one of my uncles who are, you know, um, financial people. And of course, they would be like, nope, nope, nope. And then one of the package came and said, yeah, you qualify to retire and you qualify to do something else. And so I talked to my dad and I said to my dad, I think I want to become a dance instructor. And of course, my dad's like, are you out of your mind? He's <laughs> like, you have a great corporate job. Why would you want to leave? no benefits and go work for yourself and be a dance teacher. And I'm like, well, I love this thing. And he's like, well, do me a favor. He's like, why don't you do a test? So for two years, I worked full-time for AT&T and I worked as a full-time instructor, but I didn't touch any of my income from AT&T. It went into an account in Dallas that I had no access to. So I couldn't even have an ATM card. Now I got to tell you a couple of nights, I ate some noodles. It was a lot of noodle soup. <laughs> Just like when I was in college, yeah. I was like, okay, I got to pay my rent. So I can't go off for dinner. I got to eat noodles. Um, but after two years, it, it was pretty good. And I could right. make a living. And I could make a go out of it. And I was enjoying what I was doing. And I loved it. And so I then another package came around. I was lucky. Um, and I qualified for it again. And I submitted. I walked into my boss's office. On October 31st, and signed the package, and December 31st walked out of AT&T. What year was that? That was in 2007. 2007. Yep. It was like okay, yeah, and it was great. I mean, but yeah, I mean that attending that funeral made me realize that yeah, yeah. I could work for AT&T for 35 years, but I, I want to do something else, right? I wanted to enjoy life, and I wanted to travel more, and. And and I loved dancing and it was great at the time I was having a good time. And, and so I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to give it a shot. But luckily I also took my father's advice and, you know, took two years and kind of made sure this is exactly what I wanted to do. Because I got to tell you, there were some times that when I was a full-time teacher or living on a full-time teacher's Salary. budget, mm-hmm. oh my God, I, I would be like, 
and why am I doing this again? I'm like, <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? And then I was like, oh yeah, I have a backup. I have AT&T that I haven't quit yet. But at the end of the two years, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make a decision. And I made a decision. And two days later, after I quit, or not I quit, after I took the, the, the package, I was like freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I doing? And I was just like, you know what? Let's just make this work. And so, yeah. So during that two year period, how many weekends a year did you have to work to like not eat noodles every day? <laughs> a lot, Eric. Right? Like to know. Because yeah, I think I a lot to, of people think, oh, I can just like become a pro. And I don't think oh, they realize no, 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 like no. how many weekends. No, no, let me tell you, I was working full time at Dance Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. So I would leave AT&T at, at five o'clock. I would drive into Manhattan. I would teach for them whenever they had their Wednesday classes and Tuesday classes. Mm-hmm. I would I would teach privates whenever I could. And I would contact event directors and say, hey, look, I'm coming. Um, you know, do you have something for me to do? You know, can I help you in any way? Um, but yeah, I had to work. You had to work. Right. You had yeah. to, you just, it wasn't just handed on a silver platter, you know? Um, and because here's the thing, and you guys know this, right? When you're a dance instructor, when you're sick, you don't have sick pay. That's right. right. You that's can't, right. You, if you go on vacation, that's awesome, but there's no vacation pay, no. right? You're, you're not getting paid during that vacation like you would right. at a proper job. And for 17 years, I was used to, oh yeah, I don't feel good today. I'm going to call in sick. I'll get paid. Not when you're a dance instructor, no. yeah. you know, you, you got it, you know, you have to scrape and you have to save and you have to work and you have to be nice to people mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to think about, okay, you know, I got to be in that ballroom. I got to be dancing. I got to be social dancing with people. Available. Yeah. You have to be available because, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, we're a, we're in a customer service industry and we're selling ourselves. It, absolutely. Yeah. And if yeah. you can't do that or if you're not good to people, I have a friend who's an instructor, and I won't mention his name, but he hates people. He hates people? He hates people. And he's a dance and instructor. I've, yes, and I've always said to him, darling, get a new job. This <laughs> the industry for you. You don't like people. You don't like talking to people. What are you doing? You're not, you have to be able to like hug people and talk to people and get in the elevator and be I think he like. I think I know who you're talking about. I think he likes people. <laughs> he just doesn't like all people. About <laughs> that. About that. Because he's always like, I don't like people. I'm like, oh my god, you're in the wrong industry. Go so through something else. So, um, John, but yes, you made a. You obviously, you know, have made this large career now as as a as a dance instructor and and coming into the dance industry as an instructor. You've also became a really sought after DJ. People really like your music. Me yes. being one of them. Thank so, you. what's Thank your you. approach to DJing, and what do you think of the music today? Mm, okay, I might get in trouble for you. But <laughs> no, you won't. Uh, no, I won't. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my approach to DJing is to follow my, you know, the person who taught me how to be a good DJ, contestant, to make sure that my job was to pack the floor and take people on a journey. Right. Right. And, and, and not to be selfish with music. Right. There are some DJs that only play what they like. Right. Right. And they're like, their taste is not going to fill that room. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, look, I, I love all types of genre music. Right. I, I grew up in a family household that my mother had music playing all the time. And sometimes it was Portuguese music. Sometimes it was English music, but we always had music playing. And so for me, Hearing a whole night of blues or a whole night of contemporary drives me crazy, yeah. right? I don't want to have a whole night of, I want to have a whole, I want to have different genre being played. 
So right. I want to be ta- I want to be taken on this journey where you give me some R and B and some blues and some soul and and you give me some contemporary and some acoustic. But I you know it's got to be mixed in. And part of that, you know, when I first started DJing, I remember one time I played a song and Festa John Festa looked at me. He goes, "Why are you playing this song?" I'm like, "Because I love it." He goes, "Really?" He goes, "But look at the floor." And I'm like, "Well, I'm like, that's true." I'm like, "They don't like it so much." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You can't be selfish." Now you can play certain tunes that you like, and if it fills the floor, great. You just mm-hmm. have to be willing to. It's a job when you're a DJ. You're DJing. Your job is to make sure that you take people on a journey and that you're filling that floor for that event director or for that party that has brought you in to DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, are you going to please everybody? No, no. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be people. You know, I'll tell you, you know, when I DJ for Gotham, I know that my strategy is, you know, Gotham tends to, Gotham Swing Club members tend to like a little bit more bluesy. So I'll make sure that I play a little bit more bluesy. But, you know, I inject a little bit R&B in there and a little bit of contemporary. And without them knowing, they're dancing on the floor. But if I play seven contemporary songs in a row, they're going to come over and say, okay, when are you going to get back to blues? And vice versa, when I'm out of dance, you know, like I remember when I DJed for for the next gen, they would always tell me, make sure you keep the blues during the early evening and then at late at night when the younger crowd comes in, change it and make it up. And that worked great, right? It, it has a good formula there. So um, I, I think, you know, that's part of my success is that I tend to play to the crowd. I'll look around, I'll see who's sitting down. And my job is to make sure that I get that person up to dance. Let me ask you a question. Do you exactly. think... Don't, do you think it's because you got DJs play music more to, to the masses than instructors do? Yes. So do you think it's the DJ's job to educate people on what music is? Well, you know, I, I, I think if you're going to call yourself a DJ, then yes, your job should be to educate people on good music. Right. I mean, sometimes I'll hear DJs play a song and I'm thinking, why would you play this song? I mean, it, it, it has no feeling. It has no soul. Uh, why are you playing it? Right. I mean, to me, I don't. And, you know, I may go up and ask somebody, you know, OK, you're playing a waltz song for her West Coast swing. It just, <laughs> are, you, are we going to waltz or are we going to West Coast? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that it is a DJ job, especially if you're getting paid and you're and you're and you're being hired as a DJ. Right. Your job is to educate the crowd and and. Your music. I mean, listen, I spend lots of time listening to music, right? And lots of money. Lots of money. Now, I have to tell you, I have great friends, right? I mean, when I first started out as a DJ, I got help from Festa. Uh, Deborah, I don't know if you remember that one year in Myrtle Beach where Robert and I switched music, right? Yes. Robert Robert Caldoba. I've got music from him. I've got music from other DJs. I share music all the time Mm -hmm. because good a good song is a good song and no one owns a song. Right? right. And so some DJs go, well, I can't give you this song because it's mine. And I'm thinking, really? You wrote it? You produced it? You're, you're singing mm-hmm. on it? Okay. Well, then good for you. Um, so yeah, I, I think music should be shared. And I think it is a DJ's responsibility to educate its community right. um, on it. Now, the music today, mm-hmm. you know, do, Please do be I honest. Love, no, listen, I love <laughs> some of it. I love some of it and I hate some of it. Right. But that doesn't mean that, I, I, you know, so Robert and I, you know, Robert Royston and I have always had this discussion because right now we are in the tropical samba house music genre. Right. right. Hell. And right. Some people, <laughs> yes, that's true. Some people love it. Yeah. 
And some people don't because when the song comes on, they go, I want a samba to it. And I'm like, okay, yes, it has a samba beat, but this is where we are right now. This is where contemporary music is right now. Now, a month from now, is it going to change? Possibly, right? I mean, in the 80s, we were into rock, right? And Mm -hmm. I remember playing, you know, in the 90s, I played Madonna, I played the Go-Go's and, you know, and people complained about that too. But, you know, that, that, that phase went away and a new phase comes in. Um, so my only problem with the music today, is that the DJs that are playing songs sometimes play songs just because it's popular on the radio. Right. And not because it's a good dance song. Right. Mm-hmm. Or because they like it. Yes. And one of my biggest pet peeves, and especially when, you know, and I, you know, and I, you know, I've talked to Ruby about this. I've talked to Beth about this. You know, it's a lot of pressure when, when a DJ has to pick music for like the champions. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and Victor and I had actually had this conversation one time where, you know, one of the DJs said, well, it's my job to challenge them. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, your job is not to challenge a champion dancer during it's a spot. It's to inspire them. Give them a song yeah. that they're going to sell the audience and make it a great contest. Mm-hmm. Why would you put a song that no one has never heard before and you're wanting them to fail? Is that your job? You want them to fail and you want the event to be like, oh, my God, you know, this person, you know, didn't know the song. Because it was so hard, like, if that's really your job, then you're, you're, I don't know, you're just a mean person. Wouldn't you say, John, that, you know, part of being a champion at an event is, uh, when, when you watch Champions Strictly Swing, you watch Champions Jack and Jill, you're expecting, like, like a really good show. Absolutely. It's the show. That's why people come. That's why people sit on the floor, right? Whenever it's the champion spotlight Strictly or Jack and Jill, People want a show. They paid money to see a show. So then why do you think some event directors choose DJs who aren't really good for choosing music for champions and it happens year after year? Because they just don't care, Deborah. And that's really the bottom line. And it sucks, but it's really how it is. Oh, that's I mean, too I, bad. I've, 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 had, I've had event directors come to me and say, okay, who do you think is the best DJ to play music? And I'm thinking, you actually care. And then I've had other event directors just pick who they want because it's their friend or they just assign it to somebody um, and they don't care. And that really sucks. And that part is really shitty. And I, I do feel that there are we have a lot of DJs on the circuit that some of them are really good social dance DJs and some mm-hmm. of them are really good competitive Absolutely. DJs. Yep. And they Absolutely. never and I feel like event directors never use them for what they're really good at. Right. Right. They'll 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 just assign somebody and yeah. not really think about, you know, what they what they're best at. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. What are they best at? And that's an event director's job is to put the people that they're hiring in the right positions. Right. Right. But I, I feel, you know, I really do feel that bottom line is that I just think that those those event directors that just choose somebody to play the music for the champions, that they don't care whether they do a good job or not. Okay. And that's, and that's, again, my opinion, you know, um, and from what I've seen, you know, some, some event directors stress about it. Other event directors don't really care. Oh, you know? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No, it happens. It happens. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about event directing, um, Liberty has always been known as a great event. It's high class. It's like you said, you, you create such a great atmosphere for your, attendees um but i also know that all of the pros always rave about working for you and one of the things we've talked about on this show is professionalism and or lack thereof among event directors and and how they treat staff so 
How do you make Liberty such a great event, both for your attendees as well as for your professional staff? Um, so I have nothing to do with that. It is really Stop my lying. Team. No, listen, it's <laughs> Stop lying. I have an amazing team. And part of my team are dancers and the other part are non-dancers. And that's what makes a good, um, a good team for me. Because, um, so part of taking care of the attendees for me is always in the back of my head. Um, like our mission statement for Liberty is that I want to make sure that every, every attendee is treated with respect, integrity and best customer service. So for me, on my left there, I've got my brain saying AT&T customer service. You got to, people are paying for a ticket, right? They're paying you money. Make sure that, you know, you're giving them a good yeah. value for that. Right. That's your job, right? The, the other part of my, of my right brain is I've got my mother, you know, who's in my <laughs> ear saying in Portuguese. Yes. In Portuguese. If you're going to have people over, make sure you take care of them. Mm. Right. So if you're going to throw a party, Make sure you, you know, you take care of your friends or, and, and, and this aspect, it's, a, it's attendees. So I make sure that, you know, I treat people that come to Liberty with respect and good customer service and I feed them because that's what I do. I'm Portuguese. Right. I feed people, <laughs> right. right? So people are amazed that we have apples and bananas. And I'm thinking, why and not? All day but, long, every day. All right. Yeah. Every day. And we don't run out of it because I don't want to go to the basket and find empty bananas and people don't want them. Right. Right. So, so, but that actually came from a friend of mine who's a non-dancer who was like, you know, you know, cause you know, we have these team meetings and we always think about, okay, how can we make Liberty better? And one of them was like, you know, what about if you had like little snacks? And I'm like, what do you mean snacks? And like, like apples and bananas or something for people to just munch on. And let me tell you, the first year we put it out, I thought people were going to freaking faint. I mean, I remember walking out of the elevator and there was one young girl. This was like five o'clock in the morning walking into the elevator and she had five bananas and three apples in her hand. And she stopped dead and she was like, oh. and I'm like, hi. She's like, oh, this is my breakfast for the for tomorrow and Sunday. And I was like, honey, take all you want. Like, don't feel like you have to hide food, please. <laughs> Take as much as you want, you know, and I, and I, and I was thinking, oh my God, people, people get hungry. They got to eat. Um, yes. so, you know, we have, you know, we have a pizza social party. We have a dessert buffet. And so for me, it's about taking care of my attendees because they pay for the ticket. And then in turn, I have that money to pay for my pros. Now my pros, I take care of them because I know what it's like to be a pro at an event, right? I right. know that it's, I know what it's like teaching and judging. And not having time to eat, and then you got to be back downstairs. So mm -hmm. for me, is that you know we provide a hospitality room that's open 24 hours a day for the staff to come up and eat, right? Because I, and again, it's all about making sure that their needs are taken care of. Um, and if you treat them right, they'll treat you right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I think I think you have, you're onto something. Meaning that like most the people that are event directors that are also top professional uh, instructors mm -hmm. they do a good job at taking care of both sides of attendees as well as pros yeah. because they've they've been on both they've worn both hats so my question to you is you know yeah. what would you like to see you know other cuz you travel a lot as as a, right not yes. just as as an event director but also as a spectator right huh? what would you like to see other event directors uh do to improve quality of events I, I would like event directors to think about these attendees as customers. 
mm. right? And 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 to treat them with as much respect as they want to get back, right? Mm. And and really, um, you know, we're like like we said before, we're in a customer service industry, and I think sometimes event directors forget about that. They just they just want the people to come to their event, and they don't take care of the people, right? They don't take. I mean, I've seen. And I have to tell you, one of the first times that I thought about putting on an event and really what pushed me over that boundary was I was at an event and the event director was screaming at one of its customers mm. and, and the customer was crying. Yeah. And I remember turning to John Fester and said, please, if I ever decide to do an event, remind me of this moment, mm-hmm. right? Because how do you yell at customers, right? These are your customers that are paying money and you know, for better or whatever the customer had said to that person. And I think it's because the event director decided to charge for workshops and then didn't really announce it. And the person mm-hmm. got there and didn't bring enough money for the workshops. Right. So they were crying that they couldn't take the workshops because they didn't have enough money because they didn't plan. And the event director just rather than saying, hey, totally our fault. We didn't, you know, we didn't get to you in enough time. Go right. take the workshop. Don't worry right. about it. Next year, you know. No, instead, the event director said, well, that's too damn bad. And, you know, go ask your friends for money. Funny. I was just like, oh, my God. I was like, holy crap. I think I know what event that was. Anyway. (laughs) So that's that's one of the things is that I would like event directors to remember that without customers, they're not going to have an event. No. Without customers, you're not going to have an event. And you're not. I mean, unless you're a really wealthy event director who wants to throw on a party and doesn't Mm -hmm. care who shows up. And you're not charging people and you've got enough money to pay your hotel, your floor, your sound and your staff. Well, that's awesome. Good for you. But, you know, bottom line is, you know, most events depend on their attendees to, you know, to make their bottom line. And so you got to treat your customers with respect. So I think that that would be one thing that I, if I could get a bunch of event directors in a room to tell them what to do would be that. And I would also say to them, you know, talk to people. Like I, I have a team and you know, you know, one of the people on my team is Barbara Jackson. Yes. And I love Barbara Jackson. Yeah, me too. But Barbara Jackson holds no filter. Right. No, so, that's great. So when I say when whenever we're having a team meeting and I go, I think I want to do this, she looks at me, she goes, You're great, great. She goes, <laughs> she goes, Think think of all the you know, think of all the other stuff that's gonna happen if you do that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. And she goes, Okay. So I, I, so when I, when I do say that I have one of the best teams that back me up, I really do mean that from the bottom of my heart. My team, like I couldn't do Liberty without my team from everybody that, you know, runs my registration, that runs my contest, that runs my hospitality room, that runs my volunteers. They're amazing because they're good at what they do, but they're also amazing at what they do because I let them do it. Mm-hmm. You don't right? micromanage. I do not micromanage. No, my job is to be there to support them. I remember the very first Liberty we did, John Fester and I, and we, Kevin and Judith O'Connell, were running our registration. And back then, we used to issue tickets. And so if you didn't have a ticket, we couldn't prove that you bought one. So we made you write another check. And then we would give you, you know, your check back if if that that was the case. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of shady people in West Coast Wing. Yes. A lot of people try to sneak in. And I... Sorry, that's the filter that I, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> no, it's true. That's true. People have sneaked in, and I'm like, why? If you look, if you can't afford it, you want to come, talk, talk to, me. to me. We'll figure something out. But anyway, where 
Kevin and Judy are running registration and I go back there because I think I'm going to help. So I go back and I'm like, Hey, can I help? And some guy's in line and he goes, Oh, I didn't bring my ticket, but John knows me. John knows me. And Judah looks at me and Judith goes, if you don't leave now, you're going to run registration and Kevin and I are going to go home. And I was like, well, I'm here to help. She goes, Nope, you're not helping. She goes, let us do our job. And I was like, okay. I walked away. I turned to the guy and I said, you got to deal with her. Whatever she says goes mm -hmm. because you got to give your employees the, the empowerment to do their job. And right. if you're, and if, if you say something to them, but then you turn around, and you do something different, they're going to feel like you're not supporting them. And so, and again, that comes from my, my, from my being at AT&T and having teams and having to make sure that I, the way I supported them was to be there to make sure that they had what they needed and not for me to override their decision and not for me to make them look bad. Right. So yeah, so for me, my motto for Liberty, for my registration people is, you know, the customer's right and we'll figure it out. If somebody says they bought a ticket and we don't have them in the system, we'll, we'll figure it out. Right? right. And so, yeah. So I, I would, I would also say to event directors to get a good team behind them. That's gonna, that's not going to be afraid to say no to them. Like, I think I have great ideas. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, this is fantastic. And my team looks at me and goes, no, it's not. And I'm like, but I want to do it. It's my event. And they go, but we're going to vote you out. And so everybody gets a vote. I get one vote. And it's not like, I think, I think I've used one overpower, if you want to say vote on my team. And I did it. And they proved me wrong. And I would never do it again because I ended up with egg on my face. So I'm not so, overruling anymore. No, no, I, cause I've learned my lesson, right? There was something that happened with, you know, somebody and I wanted to, you know, bring this person back and my team goes, no, we don't think that he should come back. And I'm like, no, I want to bring him back. And I'm like, I'm going to overrule you guys and I'm just going to do it. And he came back was a major problem. And my team at the end of the weekend, when we meet on Monday, they just looked at me and go, okay, this, right. this, this happened. And I was like, oh, and they're like, and remember when you said you overruled us, don't do that anymore. Because if you do, we're going to walk away. It's mm -hmm. like, got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why that's why I trust them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and a big part of you know, you, you talked about without attendees, you don't have the income to <laughs> to pay for anything, right? But also, um, without a good staff, yeah. you you don't have a good event to put on. Absolutely, absolutely. And so much of of yeah. a good team is is getting the right, like you said earlier, getting the right people in the right roles. Absolutely. And once yeah. you have that, then you don't have to micromanage them and tell yeah, them yeah. what to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I you know. My DJs, I have never gone up to a DJ and say, you need to play this song for this contest. Right. That's not my job. My right. job is that I hire them. I know they're going to do a good job. Listen, mm -hmm. people always say to me, well, how do I know I'm not doing a good job? And I'm like, I'll let you know. Like, like if I don't go to you and say something, you're doing good. Right. So, so if you're doing something bad, I'm going to walk up to you and say, hey, we need to talk about this. Right. We need to change it. But if I don't do that, so, you know, part of my, part of my worth ethic, ethic is that I'm not a, how do I say this in a political way? I'm not, <laughs> a, I'm not a, a touchy feely. Oh my God, you're doing an awesome job. You don't coddle right. people. Oh, hell no. I ain't got time for that. Right. right? <laughs> I ain't got time. And listen, when I worked at at t and I did a good job, my boss didn't come to me and tap me on my shoulder. My boss would just be like, all right, next is this, right? Well, right. to me, a and, good job means you get hired again. 
right. You yeah, get hired yeah. again, right? right? Or, you know, I'm not coming talking to you to saying, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. But th- th- there are some people that need that extra cuddling, right? They need to be sure. told every day that they're doing a good job. And that drives, drives me crazy. So luckily <laughs> the team that I have doesn't do that. But yeah, Eric, you're right. As far as hiring the right teachers, like, you know, I make sure that I put teachers in a, in a teacher role that, that are good teachers. Now, right. some teachers are great at teaching. Some teachers are great at judging. They're not necessarily both together. There's right. very few. Like there's, you know, like Deborah. Deborah knows how to judge and teach, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's very rare, right? Same thing. Royston, amazing teacher, amazing MC, mm-hmm. right? And that's very rare that you have people that know how how do I, I like I I call it bundling. Like I bundle myself, right? So right. I know how to teach. I know how to DJ. I know how to judge. Right? right. And there's very few people in our community that are amazing at one and not necessarily amazing at the other. Right. Um, and so my job is to make sure that when I hire those people that I know what they're good at. Right. And you get more bang for your buck. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. So switching gears a little bit, um, <laughs> yes. because a big part of running events is dealing with WSDC <laughs> and yes. all that involves, right? Like there's a, a lot that yes. you have to do as an event director. Um, but you've also been involved with WSDC as an organization, right? Yes. So I'm curious what your experience has been with WSDC, both as an event director, as well as a member of the organization, uh, or, you know, somebody who, who works with them. Um, you know, what can you tell us about WSDC and, and how it works having seen both sides of it? Okay. Well, WCC is a point tracking organization, right? Really, their job is to track points for Jack and Jill contests um, and to govern rules to give to, you know, the events to run by. Um, now, being part of that organization, I am their point register, right? I register all the points that comes in. And it's a job that I love to do because I feel like this community has done so much for me that I love to give back to the community. So, um, you know, it's, it's a thankless job, but it's, I, I love it. It's awesome, right. right? Because you have to put in everybody's points. Um, dealing with, you know, being in the organization, you know, it's sometimes it's not easy, right? You bang your head up against the wall a lot. Um, you give them ideas and they're not always listening because they've got 500 people talking to them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I get that. Um, and if you've ever attended their meetings at the open or at, uh, Grand National sometimes, You'll see that, you know, it's a lot, you know, this organization takes on a lot. Um, but they also, you know, have good people working for them on the board now, you know, that they've added more people now and, and, you know, and hopefully they'll add more people. Um, dealing it from an event perspective, uh, is a pain in the ass. I'll right. just say that out loud. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, I've gone up against the WSCC, right? I butted heads with them one year. I decided that I was going to let everybody dance wherever they wanted to dance, mm-hmm. right? Because the rules were not vague and I kept asking for rules and they were like, well, it's a, it's, it's a suggestion. I'm like, great. It's a suggestion, not a rule, right? And they're like, well, and so Liberty one year decided to, you know, to let everybody dance wherever they wanted to multiple times if they wanted to. Because mm-hmm. my thought was, look, if you're coming to my event, and you're paying a thousand dollars between your airfare and your hotel for the weekend, and I'm only allowing you to dance once in the Jack and Jill. Why not allow you to dance two or three times in the Jack and Jill and in Strictly Swing, right? Um, so I, I, you know, 
I love data, as you guys know. I mm-hmm. love the data data. Yeah. So I said to my scoring person, we're going to put some data together. We're going to run it and we're going to send it out to the, to the WACC. So we let everybody there are, I think that year our contest for the Jack and Jill doubled its numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. Because people wanted to dance. Right. Right. I, and my petition was the look up. If you're an advanced dancer and you want to dance in all stars and you make finals in all stars, that's your petition. Right. right. You are good enough to make finals. That's your petition. Mm-hmm. And then you get to dance in both. And then when we report the points, you just have to tell us which ones you want you to want... be reported. Okay. The advance or the all stars. Right. Cause you can't get double points. And I get right. that. So I made sure that everybody was clear on that. Um, and it was amazing. People loved it. People put together, you know, you know, people sent the WCC letters saying this was a great idea. I gave them all the data. And in the end, they said, you broke the rules and I got a slap in the hand and I got a fine. And I was like, fine, I'll pay the damn fine. The following year, I was on probation. So mm-hmm. I had to make sure that everything was run by their new rules now because I forced them to have rules. And I'm like, great, you gave mm-hmm. us rules. That's awesome. Um, and I wasn't like asking for strict rules. I just wanted more like... Less of, vague rules. Yes. You wanted rules that were right. more consistent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not that you know, maybe you can do this and maybe you can't. I'm like, right. I, I can't run a contest like that. Right. So, so I've gone up against the WSCC, which is the organization that I love to volunteer for. Right. right? Um, but because I also feel that sometimes they don't always do what's best for the dancer. Mm-hmm. Right. They do more sometimes what's best for the event director. Or and, the organization. Right. And I feel like they're being supported. They're, again, with how competitive dancers, you there got would nothing. be no WSCC, right. right? There would be no WSCC, you know. And and part of part of the WSCC, um, you know, in my experience with it is that you know, it's it's created monsters, right? Mm-hmm. It's created monsters where people all they only go to events to chase points, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And they only, I mean, I have been at events where people have competed in the prelims and then. I didn't see them for the rest of the day or the weekend. And then I, you know, Facebooked them or something. And they're like, well, I left because I didn't make finals and I was really miserable. And I was like, so you, you, you went to an event, you paid for a ticket, you paid for your hotel, but you left halfway through because you were pissed you didn't make finals. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah. And I was thinking, you're in the, you're doing this for the wrong reason. reasons. Mm-hmm. You're doing it for the wrong reason. And I've also had students who say, well, I'm just a novice dancer because that's what my points are. And I'm like, no, you should let your coach or your teacher decide what level you are and they can tell you what level you are versus you self-identifying yourself or your worth as what the WSCC does because of your points. Right. But right. The, the part of the problem is, is that if, if I have a student that comes up to me and I say to them, well, you're definitely like they think they're novice and I go, well, you're definitely intermediate. They can't dance an intermediate until oh, they acquire exactly. points. That's exactly right, Deborah. So, and that's why it's a problem. And this is. Part of me wishes that the point system would go away, right? And mm-hmm. that and that people would just dance wherever they want to dance, right? And and not necessarily have novice intermediate and advanced. Just have categories, you know. Put put you know category one two and let people dance wherever they want. And listen, if a novice dancer dances up against John Lindo and beats him, that person should should absolutely be validated, right? Right. But the only- they're never going to get a chance to because. Because of the point system, because right. of how it's being done. And some people play the system. Some people have enough right. money to travel, to go to all the events. I've seen dancers go from novice to all-star mm-hmm. within 
seven, eight months because they travel to all the events because they can afford it. Right. And some people can't. But the, so the problem with what, what you're what you're saying we should do is that it puts followers, followers, female mm-hmm. followers at a disadvantage because me as a say I'm an advanced intermediate champion, whatever level dancer. And if I dance with someone below me as a leader, I cannot bring that leader up and make us do well like a high leader can with a low follower. So it puts us at a disadvantage by letting everyone dance together. Yes and no, because you're still being judged as an individual. So you as a follower are still being judged as an individual until you get to the finals, right? So, so there would still be prelims, right? But what if I can't get to a final because I'm dancing with a novice dancer and they can't do, they can't bring me up. I can't bring them up as a follower. Right. But you're not being judged as a couple. You're being judged as an individual. So you, your quality of woman, your quality of dance should still get you enough to make it out of the, and again, you know, we could potentially say, and again, you know, if we did away with the point system, it would have to, you know, figure out some way of allowing different categories where you right. don't have, you know, somebody who's coming in to the dance right away, you know, dance with somebody. So it could be right. something that's, you know, if you're dancing, you know, years or whatever. And again, I don't have the perfect the answer. answer right now, I right. just know that, you know, the way we do things creates monsters. So that's it's, what you feel has influenced our dance. Yes. It's it. We have gone from a social, listen, when I first joined this dance, it was all about going out to, hang out with your friends and social dancing mm-hmm. and maybe entering one or two contests. Right. Right. And there were at the time, I remember begging Romero and people to get me a ticket to get into Phoenix. Right. Because Phoenix, you had to have a ticket to get in. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like, I didn't know anybody. I'm like, Romero, you got to get me a ticket. Right. Because I wanted to go because people went there. It was a pool party. It was fun. Right. And it wasn't about the competition. It was about the social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I think the WSCC point system has changed it where now it's a, it's a competition driven point chase driven atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. It's a point chase atmosphere where, I mean, and you see it there, there are some events that have, um, just workshops and dancing, right? John Festa did the Hudson swing affair, right? And that Mm -hmm. went on for a couple of years, but not enough people came to sustain it because all people want to do is chase points, right? And they'll go to events where they're going to get points. Yeah. And I remember too, just, um, more like workshop weekends where you would just go, you take workshops and you social dance. Yeah. And I feel like people, first of all, I don't see a lot of those happening. There are some, which is great, but there's not a lot of them, not nearly as many. And like you said, you know, events, they they all go for the points, you know, other than, you know, Swingle Bell Rock is great. And Royston said he's not going for points, which is fantastic. Um, And I know a couple of other events that are organized around workshops. But like, I kind of lament the loss of like, let's just go learn and social dance and have fun. Maybe a fun Jack and Jill at night. Right. Um, And this is what it was. Yeah. And this is what it was when I first started to join. That's why there's very few events. And there was not a lot of events that were geared towards the masses of the competitors. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we as human beings are, you know, we compete. That's our nature, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're humans, right? And so when you throw in a competition, now people want to have a competition and people want to have a certain competition. And and so, yeah, so now it's getting to be where I feel like the point system was great when it first started, but now it's just become this beast where people, all they do is chase points. Mm-hmm. And people will go to events just to get the points. Gonna, yes. Yeah. Listen, there are people who have said to me, 
I'm not going to that event because it's too big and I'll, and I won't even make finals. So I'm not going to waste my right. money. And I'm thinking, so you don't want to go to see your friends to take workshops from the instructors right. to have a good time. No, they want to get the points because again, they want to get to that advanced or all-star level. But that doesn't make them. Five. Oh, honey, I know that. That doesn't make them. I mean, I don't points. care how many points you have. Whatever you <laughs> have exactly. on paper has nothing Trust to do with your ability, what you can exactly. do. But because people are driven by those points, yeah. you know, yeah. that's people self-identify. I mean, I've heard people say, I can't wait until I get some advance and then I'm going to just stop dancing yeah. because I'll be considered an advanced dancer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really, if you stop working on your craft and you stop taking lessons, you think you're going to continue to be an advanced dancer? Right. I mean, you know, so, but again, people identify that um, with that whole point system. And so, yeah, so for, for me, I mean, do I have the perfect answer? No, you know, doing away completely with the point system, is that the right thing? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would love to because then it would stop from people just, attaching the point and actually going to events to hang out with friends to well, I, have a good time. I think right. the problem too is like people, there are some events on the circle that, that don't have points like, you know, single bell rock and, and ESS yeah. cause it's a workshop right. slash. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. And there German are still, July, right. Yeah, Jim, right. And there are still some people that say I'm not going cause they there's don't no offer, points. they don't offer points yet. Absolutely. However, Swingle Bell Rock was very successful without the points. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It, it was it was good. You know, and again, you, you'd have to make sure that people continue that, you know, they're going to go and have fun. Right. right. That's, ultimately, that's where people should be going. I mean, listen, I, I it, it it for me, I can't fathom going to an event and competing and not making the finals and leaving. Right. Because <laughs> I didn't make finals. Right. I'm thinking. Well, I mean, literally, I think to there? yourself, why did you go there for? Right? I mean, you go there for to hang out with your friends, to learn how to dance, to, you know, be social. If you're going there just to compete, well, then I guess it's okay. If you don't make finals, you turn around and go home. Well, maybe they should just go into ballroom. Or maybe take up a different sport. Go learn yeah. how to swim. Go learn how to play oh, tennis. Like, go learn how to right. bowling or something. Bowling. Right? <laughs> That's bowling. what I say. Listen, you should take <laughs> up bowling. bowling. This is not take the sport bowling. for you. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. But you know, there are some people that love this dance and go to it and don't compete. Mm -hmm. Love to watch people competing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I have friends who, um, when they come to Liberty, they're non-dancers and they can't wait for like the Jack and Jill champions or the, or the classic and showcase, right? Because watch. they love to watch the show aspect of it. Right. Right. And, and for them, it's amazing because they're thinking we got to be on something. They're like, you guys dance until three o'clock in the morning, four in the morning. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because <laughs> it's this, it's this fix that I need, that I need right. to just dance all night. And yeah. they think we're crazy. Right. right. And I think it's awesome. I, I, I think it's, it's a phenomenal community. Yes. Um, and it's, and it's awesome, but I think people think we're crazy when well, they hear I mean, that we dance four right. or five o'clock. You know, outside morning. looking in, not four or five, we dance till six or seven, sometimes eight o'clock. In the morning, and and obviously when you're not a dancer, it's kind of like like six hours. Like how how is this possible? Like don't you get bored? Like I, you know, they don't understand it until they finally start doing it. Right. And then they're like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I was talking to a friend of mine who is an advocate. He loves golfing, and mm -hmm. I say to him, you go golf in the rain, don't you? He goes, well, of course. And I'm like, I would think that that's crazy. Right. <laughs> I'm like, why would you go golf when it's bad, cloudy weather? And he's like, he's like, I got to get my golf in. I'm like, well, then there you go. Right. I, I think to... that's crazy because, you know, I don't golf. So. Right. 
to each his own. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, I share your vision of a, of a pointless world. I don't mean pointless, like no point, but (laughs) no, but yeah, where there, it's not, I'd love to see it. And this kind of gets to what you were saying, Deborah, and what you said to John about, you know, if, if somebody can compete against you and win, then, then that's where they belong. Good um, for that. Yeah. And Deborah, you, you know, you said like, oh, I had a student. I'm like, you're in a median. Like, I don't have the points. Um, I, I would like to see us move more towards like skills and competency rather than points. Right. So like Absolutely. you, you, you compete and you get an evaluation of like, here's where you're at. And if the judges say like, you really should move up, then you move up. And if they say, Absolutely. right, like when you're managing yeah. performance as a manager at AT&T, right, you're, you're not saying like, here's how many points you have. You're like, oh. here's how you're doing. You're either right. on track Absolutely. to keep doing the same work or you're ready for yeah. more responsibility. Yeah. But, you know, we have to understand and be clear that like when the, when the World Swing Dance Council first started, because I was around when it first started, um, their intent was to make it so that we can figure out where people belong as far right. as dance level because we were building more Jack and Jills. Right. But what has happened now is the World Swing Dance Council, I don't care what anybody says, is a business. Mm-hmm. And the business, money. right, that makes money. And the business is to uh, make more monsters so that they can make more money. Right. But I also feel... And this is part of what my headbutt goes against the right. WCC. I feel like that money that they're making should be given Put back, back to into the community. Yeah, right. you're preaching to the choir because yeah. I've had huge Put arguments it, with them about that. Back, you know, sponsor buy the numbers or buy the numbers or yeah. you know, sponsor a pizza party or give sponsor you know, a division or, or have a tour, have a tour and Something. let people and let people win money at the end of the at the end of the year. Best, Which, you know, right. best male leader. They're doing now, right? In the Jack and Jill, they have that now. I don't think they're doing a tour yet. They're not doing no, a tour. No. I thought they were doing a Jack and Jill tour. Mm-mm, if I you're not. Wow. Oh, okay. Just to see. Well, they got to yeah. do something because well, I don't yeah. care what they say. They got lots of money in there. They do have a lot of money. And, you know, and it is, you know, they should go out and, and, and do stuff with it. Absolutely. Education. Give back to the community. Yeah, yeah. Give it back. To, I mean, you know, they're a non-for-profit organization, I think. So really, they should yeah, be right. money. So right. unless they're all living off of it, I don't know. I don't think. <laughs> so. I don't think so. So speaking of tours, yes, sir. Um, yes, because you're also involved with NASD. Yes, um, as as an event director, and um, wh- what has your experience been with NASD? What do you think of their decision to go global and include more events? Right, because it's been eleven events, pretty much forever. Um, right. It's been 12 and we're down to 11. And right. really, you know, NASDAQ's mission statement is to inspire the best dancers in the world to compete for prize money. That's mm-hmm. worth of their talent. Right? right. And that's really what Craig put together was that, you know, his vision was let's get, you know, like Robert and Deborah. Right. They won the, the NASDAQ tour for God knows how many years. Right. Because sure. they were the best, you know, couple at the time. And let's give them money. Right. I, right. You know, they're spending money to go to events. They're spending money on stuff. So let's give them a good prize money. And um, so there used to be 12 events. Now there's 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I like the idea of going global because I think if you look at what happened at the Open this year, there was a lot of rising star couples that were international. Mm-hmm. And I think those couples are starting to compete in routine divisions. So it's mm-hmm. good to foster routine divisions. Sure. Sure. Um, so I think going global will help us uh, reach some of those couples where now they don't feel like they have to go back down to dance and rising star because they don't have enough points 
Or um, that they have to compete at United States events. To, absolutely. Right, right, right. Absolutely, right. Because they'll put their routine together, but they never get to compete at other events other than if they come to the United States. Right. So, so we are looking at other events that currently offer routine divisions and trying to reach out to those events and saying, hey, would you like to be part of NASD? Um, and of course, you know, we'll have to figure out the naming because, you know, it's the National right. <laughs> Association. So, so we're gonna Wasty, have to World that. Association of Swing Dance Events. So, so we're gonna have to add a W there or something. Yeah, but yeah I, 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 I love the idea of us going global because it only fosters the couples to come into classic and showcase. Mm-hmm. Well, how yes. do you feel about? Because look, you know, of course, look, look at what I'm about to say. Go ahead. Uh, so, so, so NASD brings dancers together to compete to get prize money, but it's always presented at the u.s open which brings dancers to the u.s open which brings the u.s open money so if right so if you're going to be part of an association it should travel yeah yes right so you know that uh, that's actually um uh a very very valid point and our bylaws currently currently state that you know the tour ends at the u.s open um but again, you know, bylaws are being are made to change, right? And so we have had somebody on our committee who has, um, you know, brought forth a petition or a recommendation that we change the tour and let the tour travel around and change every year, where it would, it would and almost like, um, almost like, um, you know, um, worlds doesn't doesn't worlds change where they go no. each year? Well, Worlds always is either Nashville, but it's Worlds is always Worlds, so it doesn't okay. move around. Um, but Worlds moves to where it's either in Nashville, it's in, um, it was in, um, San Francisco last year. Next year, it's going to be in Nashville again, and then it's going to go to Texas. So, right. but it's still, it's still Worlds. So it still right. all gathers there. But ours, because we're nasty, we could essentially, you know, one year start at Capitol and right. end up at Capitol, and then Capitol would host it, and right. then we move on to Mad Jam. So right. yeah, it could be, could absolutely be on our rotation uh, basis. And there is something that's been brought to the committee to take a look at that. So we're going to look at that and, and see what the, you know, what the impacts are, what the positives and negatives are about that. So, so when yeah. SD started, yes, there were way fewer events, <laughs> right? Yes. yes. Like those 11 or those 12 events were like the premier events to go to. Right. Originally, there wasn't 12, though. It's it grew. It didn't start out with 12. I, I I don't know about. I mean, I only came in with twelve. I mean, our bylaws are. I mean, currently the bylaws say twelve. So I don't know if there was always twelve. I think there was always twelve. I don't think I remember I, there being twelve. I thought it was ten or eleven, and then it yeah, grew. Yeah, it grew. Couple. Right. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway, it was supposed so, to be the premier events, but now that we've right. grown and we have other events, yeah. um, we, are, we are also looking at adding other events. Right. Um, you know, both domestically and international. Sure. So my question is, though, um, you know, NAS, one, NASD is now just a subset of all the events out there, right? There are tons of events out there. Tons of events. And also, a lot of the, um, particularly international events, don't have routine divisions. It's not... Right. Like, you know, in Europe, the format is more focused on Strictly's and Jack and Jill's and then like a pro right. show, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what you think of NASD's impact and influence. Has it, is it really the same? Um, do you think going global can increase its influence? 
Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, it stand among events now? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think going. I mean, I think Nasdaq still wants to make sure that we foster the classic and showcase division, and that we also still maintain integrity of good events, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if 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 an event has NASDI, um, it's because we have deemed it that that event is a superior event, right? It's not just right. the regular event that you put on. Um, now, how I think how global is going to impact it in a good way is that it's going to allow those events to add showcase and classic to their divisions and get those international dancers to to start competing more because now there'll be events that they can go to and, you know, chase the points and try to get money um, versus right now there's no tour for them. Right. Um, so I, I think going global will impact it in a good way. Um, we just have to make sure that we don't, um, how do I say this politi- politically? <laughs> um, we don't allow every event to become Nazi. Sure. Right. 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 Because, because there are tours out there right now that have, 38, 40 events. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. why would I want to be part of that tour? Yeah. There's 40 events. That's a lot of, like a tour for me is something that, you know, it should be kept, you know, small and, and, and not necessarily available to like every single event. I mean, right now yeah. the WSDC has 118 events, mm-hmm. right? There's right. 100, 118 events that are WSDC sanctioned. I don't even want one, third, you know, half of that or 10% of that to be NASDAQ because it's too many, right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our goal is to make sure that we maintain one to two events max a month, um, mm-hmm. you know, versus where if you have, you know, three NASDAQ events back to back in the same location in the same yeah. area, how is that going to help any of those competitors to go and travel to all of them? Because they won't be able to. So right. my question is, Yes. If you if we're gonna do a global uh, Nasdaq, yes. yes. Uh, well, yes. Right, right. So say say that there's ten events in in, in Europe yes. or overseas that are that are Nasdaq, and then there's ten events in the United States that are Nasdaq. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna separate those, or is it now a collection of twenty events? Are you gonna make it so that there's a winner for the domestic events, ten events, and then there's a winner for the European events? Or are you collectively putting them together? And and that's actually something that we're that we're looking at, right? Because they're they're we're gathering information and looking at it to say, is it best that we put them all together, or is no. it best that we have an international tour and we identify a winner there, and then uh, you know national tour that we identify in the United States? And again, I don't know the answer to that because there's eleven of us on the board and oh. we each have our own opinion. And some people like both. Some people like one. Um, so I think we'll probably have to talk about it and, and figure I out. I think one puts people at a disadvantage because not everybody can from Europe can travel to the United States. Not everybody from the United States can travel to Europe. If you do two separate tours, which is still part of NASDI, one is domestic mm-hmm. and one is European. There's a more, you know, you want things to be fair advantage. Right, not right. Disadvantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, like Leanne, Norris and I have talked about was, you know, do we maybe give the European people more points because they're, they're going to compete less, right? And that's just one of the things, right? To kind of even it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're kind of looking at all different factors. And like you said, Deborah, one of them is, you know, should we have a European tour and we have a, a, a national tour and then mm-hmm. identify each person? And then even somebody said, well, what if we get those couples to compete against each other? That's and then great. Have like, 
and then have like the world champion, right? Right, right. Why not, right? That's because, good too. Yeah, it's good too because then you've got the best of Europe competing against the best of the United States. Love it. For Nasdi, the top, the top three couples, let them go out at each other, right. and and then and then choose, I don't know, the the global item with the, the hell global the swing dance team. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Right? Whatever. Yeah. Figure it out. But so, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, and so so somebody has also brought that up, you know. So one of the people on, on the committee also said, hey, what if we do that as well? And I'm like, that's a cool idea too, right? So yeah, so there's lots going on, lots happening with, with NASDAQ. And I think going global first is going to be good. And our, our biggest challenge is trying to make sure that we identify the right events in Europe um, and that we don't, A, hurt anybody's feeling because we didn't go to them and say, hey, would you like to be part of NASDAQ? Um, But, you know, we travel on that and we know which events are, having the showcase and classic for jeans and which events foster those that um those categories and right. some events like you said eric primarily just want to do jack and jill's strictly swings you know and approach those they don't want to have the routine division but but i've also talked to some event directors in europe who say i would love the opportunity to offer that i just need somebody to help us put it together put the rules right. and sure. that's what nasdi would come in and do right yeah well and you said how nasdi you know, it, it's its own stamp of approval, right? That this oh. event is quality, but we currently don't really have any entity that manages quality of events beyond NASD. Right. Right. Oh. So, um, yeah. So that's there's, another whole can of worms. Right. Yes, that's a whole, whole <laughs> well, can and like of you worms. said, not every event is, you know, run with the right. same yeah, level I mean, of professionalism listen, and quality. I, Listen, one of the things that I brought to the – this is one of the things that I was talking about banging my head up against the World Swing Council is that <laughs> I one time gave them a proposal. And I said, listen, there's stuff already out there that exists. The Michelin's five-star, right. right? There's mm-hmm. shit that already exists. We don't even have to create it. Right. It already exists. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do something for the WSCC where you know points are given to events based on the quality? Right? Yes. Do you have enough judges? Did you run the contest on time? Did you, did you, you know, make sure that you took care of your competitors? Like, and then it would be a five star, four star, three star, two star, yeah, right? Like Based on that. And can I be a judge on that committee? <laughs> there was nada from them. They just said, thanks, John. We appreciate your feedback. And I was really? like, okay, thank you so much. But again, you know, they have it. I've given it to them. Whether they ever decided to do it, it's up to them, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, it took a bunch of data to get to them for them to add a tier four, five, and six. Hmm. Because I kept banging on the head saying, listen, we need an the European three, yes. events are so huge, yeah. right? They're so huge. It is not fair that somebody who competes in a novice, especially followers, mm-hmm. in a novice category that has 200 followers against somebody who has 40 followers and gets the same freaking points. Right. That's just not fair, people. Right. Right. Let's like, and then of course, you know, that took one or two years, but thank God they listened and passed the new tiers and make them bigger. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to redo it again. If Asia ever gets on board, if we right. ever get Asian events yeah. and we get those billion people, mm-hmm. we're going to have to change that again. Right. And right. add more stuff. But, but, you know, it's a little wheel. Like you got, it's right. like, you know, I feel like I'm on the squeaky wheel and, mm-hmm. you know, just, and I just we keep make doing progress. it. We make, right. progress, we make progress, we take two steps back, we make progress, yeah, yeah. And luckily for me, the good thing about it is that I'm the type of person that I just keep going, 
Like mm-hmm. I'm never the one that just goes, okay, I'm going to stop and I'm not going to, I'm going to walk away. I'm like, no, we're going to keep doing this until something yeah, happens. Right. right. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I brought to them about the Michelin star having certain events be five stars, certain events be three stars. And, right. you know, hopefully maybe they'll do that at some point. But, you know, because I think it's up. I think it's the ownership is on the event director to provide a good event for their attendees. Well, and, and I also, director, I also think that event directors, you know, a lot of event directors get away with a lot. There's no, there's no code of conduct for an and, event director where there's a code of conduct for professionals and there's a code right. of conduct for attendees, but not for an event director. And right. there are a lot of event directors who, who are, uh, unprofessional, who treat professionals terribly, who treat their attendees terribly, and people still go oh to the God. events. I mean, I, I've had event directors who haven't paid me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I what I do is I email the World Swing Council. I'm like, listen, FYI, mm-hmm. this event didn't do good, cannot afford to pay me, and I'm sure it can't afford to pay its other staff. Now, they didn't tell us until we got there. So mm-hmm. what are you guys going to do about it? Well, They don't do that. anything. No. They need to do something, right? You're right. There should be a standard held for event directors, just mm-hmm. like they are for judges and teachers. Pros. And, yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay. I agree. Maybe you should start an organization, Deborah, about that. Oh, Why not? boy. Listen, because <laughs> I, I don't get in trouble enough for speaking my, my voice. If you do something, just start it. You just get a bunch of friends together. All right. You, all right. I'll tell you, you're on board too, first. You're the first one I'm hiring. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of just uh, the community in general, because um, you've seen it change a lot, you've been involved in so many different ways. What do you think of our scene today? What do you think of the dance? What are your pet peeves? What do you love? What are you excited about? So um, my pet peeve is that people are point whores. So I absolutely hate that. <laughs> I love that. Point whores. <laughs> they chase points. Um, what I love, um, that like YouTube and, um, so many streaming services have done is that it's, that it's Brought put out dance out there, right. right? It's, it's made it available where people have seen videos who would never have seen it and maybe they'll go take a class and it's bringing new people in and it's sharing the love of, of our dance. And so I'm, I'm excited for more streaming. Um, I think streaming is phenomenal because it gets people to see what we do. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about the aspect of the technology that we have. Um, and I'm excited that we get new people. Um, one of the things that I love about this community is that we tend to, um, welcome everybody with open arms, mm-hmm. right? We're not, we're not like, you're too fat. You can't dance, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry. You're not allowed or you're, you know, you've got brown hair, so you can't come in. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, so I love that our community is all shapes, sizes and ethnicities, and it welcomes everybody with open arms. Um, and I love that about this community because it feels like a big extended family. Um, right. So I'm excited to see where where it takes us to, you know, when, you know, when Asia and India and all these people get a hold of our dance and are going to be like, oh, my God, I want to join this community and I want to be part of it. And and I, I think it's just going to be a whole melting pot, which I love. Now, I'm used to that, right? I'm a gay man who has come out to a gay community, and the gay community is very, you know, we're like that. We're very nurturing, and we're very family-oriented, and we take care of, you know, each other. And um, I'm excited for, you know, the youth that is taking, you know, interest in this dance. 
Um, you know, lots of people are willing to help, which is great. Um, and, and, you know, the good thing, and I, and I'll say this with the, with the most, um, with the most integrity that I can is that I love that for every bad apple, there's 10 good apples. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That, right. Cause I've been in communities where there's been 10 bad apples, only one good apple and right. that sucks. So yeah. I love that our community fosters good, good, good people and, mm-hmm. and, and people that you can, you know, count on and call on and, you know, people visit, people travel over the world and just meet people and go right. stay with people that, you know, you would never know, but you do it because you share a common thing, right? We're all West Coast swing dancers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome. I think that is, I'm excited for that. Right. Yeah. I, I was just in uh, Europe at Budapest and it's just amazing to me just looking, I was just looking at uh, like the prelim lists and all of the different countries. Like there's something right. that's so amazing to me that, you know, 10 years ago, it was not, oh, it was not all over. It wasn't even all over the right. United States. <laughs> and so to go and just see like people from Brazil and Asia and all over Europe dancing together, the U.S., it was just, it's really extraordinary. It's really exciting. It really is. And, and, and I'm excited for that. And part of that, of course, is because of YouTube, right? YouTube has been, you know, you know, we call it the, we call it the YouTube generation, but Mm. you know, like back, not, not so long ago. So I don't want it to seem that this is old, but you know, back, back then when Deborah and Robert traveled to England, no one really knew that they went to England, right? right? And they were in England, but no one else knew that they were in England. And, and because there we was no the streaming, slowly. Right, right? Exactly. Where now people travel and they post videos, and you're going, "Oh my God!" There's, I just saw, you know, that there's going to be event, an event happening in Chile, and I'm right. like, what, "What the hell? Like, how hard <laughs> yeah. is that?" Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just had friends who went to Hawaii and went to West Coast swing dancing in Hawaii. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome. I think that you know, being part of the YouTube generation is what I call it is phenomenal because mm-hmm. it has brought so many countries and so many ethnicities into our in, into our melting I pot. I agree. But it's also been like our dirty stepchild where it like ruins the dance <laughs> a little bit. Because <laughs> people try to learn off of YouTube. Well, you know that's, I mean? you know, yeah. like I said, for every good, there's, there's always Right, right. No, you're right, John. Uh, and no, people, yeah. listen, whenever I'm in Europe and people go, is this not how you do this movement? I'm like, no, off of YouTube maybe. But, right. you know, they don't, you know, because they learned it off of YouTube. So they don't really get the technical of where the hand goes, how it should be turned and they're just watching it on youtube and then learn that's why i call it the youtube generation it's been phenomenal but it's also been you know like the ugly stepchild like you said it's also made us like i don't know if you realize john but you and i are clickbait on (laughs) on facebook yes or yes we they've used us as clickbait and a couple of other dance (laughs) you know have been used as that too now because it's circulating all over you know youtube exactly Um, so it it. helps the dance but it also screws the dance too a little bit well, i think in the, you know as much as we look at youtube you know this generation looks at youtube i mean i don't know i used to watch granted i didn't have as much access but i used to watch event videos right and try to learn stuff yeah, sure. from event videos yeah, yeah. absolutely um you know i just didn't have as many videos right and i didn't have as many videos of maybe a wider variety of west coast swing right. <laughs> than yeah. we used yeah, to have I mean, Listen, right. I remember when the Open made its 20th anniversary and they put out that four 
DVD compilation. Yeah. yeah, I made sure that I did not leave the open until I bought that sucker and right. took it home. It was actually VHS, <laughs> right? Yeah, oh, was it was VHS? DVD. Yeah, and I and I was like, oh my god, I need this because it showed all the history way back, which was yeah. awesome. Right, you and can I was get like, it on DVD now. Well, yes, of course. I was yeah. just like, man, this is amazing. Yeah, so yeah. So, so I'm excited about our dance for where it's going. Am I nervous about it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I always feel like. For me, um, I, I, you know, I'm always worried about things, but things always work out in the end, mm-hmm. right? I'm always because you know I'm a worried ward. I worry, right? I mean, I worry about stuff because I'm Portuguese. That's what we do. Sometimes <laughs> I tell my mother, I gotta stop doing this. But in the end, um, things always turn out good and sometimes great. Um, and I sometimes, I think for me at least, I sometimes have to have just a little bit more faith in the in the community because it's going to be okay well i think john you know it's important for people to understand that you've you know you've been in this community a long time now and you've been someone who you're you're a community builder you're not just part of the community you're a community builder um and your love of the dance community shows consistently not not just when you talk about it but when you're social dancing or you're teaching or you do this because you love it and you care about it and this is why we really wanted to have you um, on the show today. So we're really thankful that you were here on the show today and you spoke, you know, openly with us. And if, and if people yeah. would like to reach you because, you know, they think you're amazing, how would they find you? How would they find me? So I have a website, uh, johnlinda.com, mm-hmm. and they can go there and there's a contact form and the phone number and they can reach me that way. Or if I'm ever at a dance, they can just come up and talk to me. I am approachable. Yes, you are. I do like to talk to people. Yes, you do. Um, so yeah, so if I'm ever at an event and people want to say hi, um, I never turn down hugs. Um, and so yeah, so I'm, uh, that's a good way of them reaching them is either through the website or just coming up to me and just saying hi. And they should check out Liberty Swing Dance Championships, which this year right. is the last weekend of June, June 27th yep. to 30th, libertyswing.com. Yes. Um, by the way, Deborah and I are going to be doing a live recording at Swingcouver this year Ooh. on Saturday night. So if anybody listening is going to be at Swingcouver and you should I'll be at Swingcouver, you should join us for the live recording. And if you're going to be there, um, well, whether you're there or not, you can submit a question to us through our website, the Naked Truth WCS.com slash live. And if you're going to be at the event, we might call you up to ask that question with us live. and sit and talk with us. So that's that awesome. Out. That's going to be great. I love yeah. live uh, live interaction. That's cool. That's the idea is to get people talking with us. So yeah. if you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us about this episode or any other, you can post your comment on our website. You can respond to our posts on Facebook. And of course, you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. If you want the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Instagram, and follow us on Twitter, even though nobody's on Twitter anymore, apparently. So, right. <laughs> um, like, I check it, and nobody's on there. So, and, and no one's on there. Is it just gone? I don't know. It's there. I just I guess now West Coast Swing Dancers. Instagram. Don't use it. Everything yeah, Instagram. Instagram now. Right? Instagram. We're on Instagram. <laughs> um, of course, if you're listening to this podcast on our website, keep in mind you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. And 
Mm. Coming soon, the Naked Truth swag. That's right. Keep an eye out for some swag and merch available both at our live shows as well as on our website. Very nice. We're very excited. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that, folks, is the Naked Truth. Wonderful. His own little spin on it. And that was perfect. Yeah, I like it. That was perfect. We should add that for next time for everyone else. I was going to say, and that people is the naked Naked truth. truth. But I didn't want to be a little. No, that was great. It would have been no because it's you. Oh, that was good. And that, folks, I want to hear it. (laughs) Yes. And that, folks, is the naked truth. There you go.